Bible college. Uh, I think I was done in 1992. <laughs> Did an internship, and when I was uh, done my internship, I was waiting for a church to open up to serve at. And our first church was Borden, Saskatchewan, not far from when I grew up, where I grew up. And uh, there, was a, there was a period there where I not was, was not only waiting for the Lord's timing and going to a church, but, you know, desperately needed money. <laughs> Being a poor student, the internship didn't really pay much. And so I went to work at a uh, local manufacturing plant in Saskatoon called FlexiCoil. My brother worked there. They were hiring. It was a busy place. So I applied and I got the job. And uh, we manufactured uh, all manner of things, but my... Uh, like farm uh, equipment, implements. And so my area that I worked in was in the air seeder department. We uh, manufactured air seeders and eventually uh, started doing those for John Deere and New Holland. It was a f fascinating job coming out of Bible college, working in the prep area for air seeders. So all of the raw materials would come in from the yard and we would, uh, we would cut it, we would punch it, we would drill it, we would, it was all metal, right? And, uh, and, and we would bend it and we would do all kinds of things to this metal to get it ready for the next stage of manufacturing. All the way through to the paint and out the yard into the, into the uh, dealer's uh, yards. And so I worked with this guy, uh, his name was Carl. He was, uh, he was an older German man who had uh, done his... Uh, training in Germany as a uh, machinist. And he was very, very, very precise, uh, as only Germans can be, especially when it comes to manufacturing. And uh, I hit it off with him. Uh, not everybody liked him because he was very German <laughs> and uh, very precise. And this was like, uh, this was manufacturing. It was an assembly line, so you, they wanted, you know, the pace to pick up. But but, uh, but Carl never, ever had a part that he had his hands on rejected, ever. In the entire time that, that he worked there and that I worked with him, he did things perfectly. And the reason why is he spent probably two to three times as long as everyone else setting up his machine. So he would lathe sometimes, but his was the milling machine mostly, and it was all manual where he worked. Uh, a few digital dials and stuff, but nothing CNC. But he would do it all by hand, and he would set up his jig, and he would get it done, and he would check his part. And from then on, it just flowed seamlessly, and every part came out perfect, resulting in quality. But he still wasn't like, because he wasn't fast enough. But I liked him. The guy ate, side note, the guy ate the same thing for lunch every day. He had this thin, heavy, dark rye bread. <laughs> I always have to throw in a food thing, right? with leverwurst, liver sausage, a thermos of tea, and two dad's cookies every day. For as long as I knew him, I worked there about a year and a half. I sat with him every day at lunch. He opened up the same lunch kit and had the same thing in there every day. Except for my last day at work when the guys all surprised me with Vern's pizza. It's like this three-inch thick pizza in Saskatoon, right? And he actually had one slice out of respect for me, even though he didn't want it. <laughs> Laying a good foundation, doing uh, a proper setup is critical to the success, whether you're doing a construction job, whether you're manufacturing parts, whatever it is, because everything stems from that. 
If you don't have a good setup or a, a good foundation laid for the project you're working on, everything else is not going to line up. The foundation for Jesus' life and ministry on earth was laid by John the Baptist. And before that, by his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. But before that, the person laying the foundation was God himself. And, in this, and, and that's why so much time and so much attention has been given to John the Baptist by Luke, the author, this morning, who is also laying a foundation for his entire gospel, really, by doing it in chapter 1. And this morning's text is no different. John the Baptist, who came in the spirit of Elijah, was a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. He was preparing the way for Jesus. He was setting up the jig, so to speak, so that everything would go right after that. He was laying a proper foundation. It was his job to set up Jesus well. And his message was a message of repentance of sins, the sign of which would be water baptism. So he would baptize people. Jesus himself came to John to be baptized. But John's message was uh, repentance of sins, but it was one, his message was also of pointing to the one who would be the forgiver of those sins, who would baptize them not with water, but of fire in the Holy Spirit for regeneration to new life in him. John's job was to do a good setup, to lay the foundation for Jesus and then slowly disappear while Jesus became greater and greater. John said, I must decrease and he must increase. And that's exactly what happened as Jesus gained more and more followers and John slowly disappeared from the picture. And so we see in this text with the birth of John the Baptist and once again Zechariah and Elizabeth's role in that, obviously as his parents, particularly Zechariah's prophecy about Jesus and also his prophecy about their very own son, John, we see the foundation being laid. And so in this text, uh, uh, I see, and we're going to find this morning, six aspects of this foundational life, uh, foundational aspect of life and of ministry that we see here. Six different things that make a good foundation for life in ministry. And these are really good uh, reminders for all of us as we approach Christmas, as we approach the end of the year, and as we anticipate a new year. And go, what are things in my life that I need as foundational aspects so that I, I am set up well for success? His success, his definition of success for me in life and in ministry. So here we go, six things. Number one, the first foundation for a fruitful life and ministry is a faithful God. <laughs> this has to be foundational for us, friends. Uh, we, we, we have nothing in, our, in and of ourselves to offer, uh, but we rely completely on the faithfulness of a faithful God. So let's go back through the text bit by bit. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to the, his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called, and he asked for a writing tablet. You know, he got out his Samsung tablet with a writing pen, and he said, his name is John. And they all wondered. They wondered. And immediately, his mouth was opened. 
and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. Here we see God's faithfulness in two ways. First of all, in orchestrating everything. People rejoiced in what the Lord had done. It was all God. He put it together. He arranged it. He orchestrated it. And people were in amazement at what was happening. So I'm, I'm here by myself this morning. Marcy uh, abandoned me for the weekend to be with her family, which I'm glad she did. They're celebrating a family dinner before uh, her brother and his wife, uh, their kids leave on the 24th to do their thing. So on the 23rd, which is tomorrow, right? They're having a family dinner. I couldn't be there. So I said to Marcy, go. So she left on Friday. She's coming back late tomorrow night in time for uh, Christmas Eve service. And so the first night she gets there, oh, and she surprised her parents. So she had her brother and his wife pick her up at the airport. And she said, let's meet mom and dad at their favorite place, A&W. <laughs> And uh, they went in first, and uh, Randy distracted mom and dad while Marcy went in behind and, and put, her, put her hand on her mom's hand, and her mom's like, what's going on here, right? And she turns around, and there's Marcy. So it was a good surprise. But that night, uh, uh, Marcy's uh, parents had already prearranged, not knowing she was coming to have company over. So they had their next-door neighbor over. Uh, her name is Tripta. She's uh, in Indo-Canadian, and she came over with her grandchildren and their and the grandchildren's parents. So her uh, son and daughter-in-law. And Marcy said they were the most wonderful family. They had such a good evening. And Marcy's mom had made cookie dough and they made Christmas cookies together. What a, what a wonderful outreach, right? And, uh, and so the story unfolded during the evening of how uh, Tripta's kids uh, came to meet each other and how they produced these wonderful grandchildren. <laughs> So, uh, Tripta has two sons. One was married and lived in Vancouver. They're from Calgary. And her, she was very concerned about her single son. He needs to find a woman and get married. So she's plotting. And, uh, and so it's on her mind. And she makes a trip to Vancouver to visit her other son. And they, they go to this event. I don't even know what it was. And she sees this beautiful Indo young Indo-Canadian woman and says, this is going to be my son's wife. Didn't know her from a hole in the ground. And, uh, and, so, and so she goes up to this young woman, taps her on the shoulder and says, would you accompany me to the washroom? <laughs> All right. Why not? So she goes with her thinking she needed help or, you know, whatever. She goes, I, d I don't really need to go to the washroom. <laughs> they get inside. I don't really need to go to the washroom. I don't need your help. But I have a son who's single. <laughs> can, you, can you believe it? And she's like, so she said, tell you what. You go outside. My other son is here. And he's married. But he looks exactly like his brother. So go take a look at him. And if you're interested, talk to me. So she, <laughs> so she goes out, looks at the guy, goes, yeah, this isn't bad, Right? And, uh, and so they, she introduces him to the single brother's, uh, the single son's brother, right? And, and, and so he talks to her, takes a photograph of her, texts it to the single, texts it to his brother, says, what do you think? She goes, yeah, she looks pretty good. And he says, and she's, and she's a very nice person. Turns out he made a trip from Calgary to Vancouver, met her. They spent three days together. Five months later, they're married. Yay, mom! <laughs> Orchestrating everything. 
orchestrating everything. This is exactly what God was doing in this story. What he said he did and it all came together and he was pulling all the strings and it turned out to be a beautiful thing. It says in our text here this morning, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. Let's go back to verse 13 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago. But the angel said to him, to Zechariah, who's in the temple, ah, um, where are we? I lost my place. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And then uh, it says there, and immediately, like after the birth, and, uh, and Elizabeth insisting that, she be called, that he be called John, and everybody's like, well, this doesn't make sense. There's no John in the family. What do, well, Zechariah, what do you think? So because, remember, his mouth was closed because he didn't believe the angel, and he was punished. Uh, he says his name shall be John, and immediately it says his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed, and he, and he spoke going back to verse 20, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And God was faithful. He was faithful to his promise to give them a son. He was faithful to Zechariah to open his mouth exactly like he said he would when all of these things came to pass, including Zechariah's obedience. And God was orchestrating all of it. God is so faithful. Amen? We need to rest in that, friends. We need to rest in the fact that God is orchestrating things right now. Right now. In Agassi. In your life. In your family. He's doing things. He's up to something. And we need to rest in that. And we need to believe that his promises, the things that he says, he will accomplish. Uh, I, I, I went out last night. Uh, Marcy and I received a last-minute invitation. Of course, she's in Calgary. She couldn't go to dinner. And so I went, and I said, well, if you'll have just me, I'll come over. <laughs> so I did. And the evening turned out to be an amazing... It was so encouraging to me because we shared stories around the table and later on on the couch about God's faithfulness and how he orchestrated key events in, in both of our lives that, that were so clear it was only him and there's no other possibility. Don't you just love stories like that? Like they encourage your faith. I, I went home so encouraged. I hadn't, been finished my, I hadn't finished my sermon yet, so while I kept one eye on the Canucks game, I was working on my sermon and I had this in my mind. I'm going, thank you, God. Thank you for your faithfulness. You're so good. You... You have it in hand. You know exactly what we need. We can rest in that. We don't need to stress about it. But we also see God's faithfulness in this text in not only him orchestrating everything, but also in second chances. God is so faithful to us when we blow it, right? Zechariah blew it big time. He didn't believe God in the temple, and so God... Uh, uh, gave him some fairly significant consequences. He literally, he woke up and he couldn't speak. Um, I have another friend that I, I met for breakfast uh, this week who, he's uh, in his mid-70s now. He came to faith in Christ. Later in life, he was in his 50s. Uh, he was a captain in the fire department in Richmond. 
And the pastor that I worked with was the chaplain in the department. And so he came to faith. And then because this guy rides motorcycles, he and I became friends. And we, we've been riding like ever since. And uh, he woke up the other morning and he couldn't hear out of his one ear. Completely deaf. And it's freaking him out. And I, I met him for breakfast and we prayed together. And he says, Eldon, like what happens if I all of a sudden wake up and the other ear is gone? Like, I'm gonna, like you're going to be totally deaf. Like I can't imagine life that way. So we talked about it, prayed about it. And here Zechariah in an instant couldn't speak. He was mute. He couldn't say anything because he didn't believe God. And God disciplined him for it. But Scripture tells us that God disciplines those he loves, right? Uh, my son, Caleb, uh, grandson, Caleb, uh, he just turned four in October. And so it was funny. We, we went there at Thanksgiving to celebrate the birthdays. Uh, our third grandchild was born while we were there. So every single member of the family is now has an October birthday, all five of them. <laughs> so it's quite a month because you got uh, Thanksgiving in there as well. So it's just like eating and partying like all month long. Right up my alley. <laughs> and, uh, and so um, he turned four. So we, we, uh, we visited, we came home. And, and like almost on a daily basis, we do the Facebook Messenger video calling, sometimes several times a day, and we talk to the kids, and they want to see us, and, and all of that kind of stuff. So one time we phoned, and he's sitting on the timeout chair. It's a stool by their island, and that's his chair. Whenever he's not listening well, then he gets timeout, and he says, he's talking to Marcy, he says, Nana. He goes, I, I'm on the chair for four minutes, because I'm four. It was very cute. It was very cute. It was almost like a proud moment. I turned four, so now I get to be on the chair for four minutes. <laughs> Zechariah was well beyond uh, childbearing age, so I don't know. Uh, God gave him a timeout for what, 60, 70, 80 minutes? No, 10 months. He had a 10 month timeout on the chair. But God is a God of second chances. This time around, he knew the drill. First thing he did was he listened to his wife. <laughs> Guys, are you listening? He listened to his wife. Elizabeth said, no, 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 no. It's going to be John. He says, yeah, like she said. <laughs> it's going to be John. He did the right thing. He got his voice back. And here's the thing. Instead of blaming God, and throwing a tantrum that he got a 10-month time out, what did he do? It says, and he blessed the Lord. He blessed the Lord. He blessed the Lord. It's all God. Bless you, God. Praise you, Lord. Oh, I didn't think I was going to do this. <laughs> um when God does an amazing thing in our lives, when we've been disciplined by the Lord, and trust me, I have been, it is incumbent upon us that we bless the Lord, that we praise him. Even though at times it seems like his hand is heavy, he knows what he's doing. And, and listen, the faithfulness of God gives us the ability to respond in faithfulness. 
And that's, and that's what happens when the gospel takes a hold of you, that this now becomes the normal Christian life, that a faithful response to a faithful God is, means that we bless him and we give him glory. And so my question for you today is, are you blessing him or are you blaming him? The gospel is all about second chances. I, and I don't know this morning where you have failed God, where you have failed other people, where you have failed yourself. There have been periods of my life, some short, some long, very long, where I have felt, I have felt like a failure. Uh, for, for each one of us, it's uh, to a, a different degree, and there's different issues. So I don't, I don't know what your story is. Some of you I do. I don't know where you've been unfaithful, unbelieving, unrepentant, but I want you to know this this morning, and I want you to hear it clearly. There is always an opportunity to make it right because God is faithful. And, and this morning is one of those opportunities. Is an opportunity here for you today to bless the Lord. Has God given you a second chance? Has he forgiven you? Has he healed you? Have you blessed him for it? Time and time again as a pastor, and it happened to me again recently, people in a desperate state, they come asking for help, and rightly so. That's why we're here as a church, to minister in the name of the Lord, to meet needs, to counsel people, to be with them in crisis, in grief, in loss, in heartache, in whatever and that's good, but, but more often than not, people come into crisis, and then when God meets their needs, you don't hear from them again. And I'm like, what's up with that? There's a, there's a story in Luke chapter 17 where Jesus healed 10 people with leprosy, and only one returned to give him praise, and Jesus said, where are the other nine? That's dangerous ground to be walking on, friends. Has God been faithful to you? Will you respond to him in faithfulness? And, and, and this is gonna like uh, maybe rattle our nerves or take us out of a, like it's gonna be a big paradigm shift for us. But I, like I was watching the news this week and as you know, Christmas Day 2017, a man by the name of Andrew Berry uh, murdered his two little daughters on Christmas Day. And he was, uh, two years later, he was sentenced like just this past week. He was convicted and he was sentenced to life with no eligibility of parole for 22 years. And the Crown Council got up and he said, you know, today's verdict brings some measure of closure and hopefully some measure of peace to the victims. And then they interviewed one of the victims who was Andrew's uh, wife, the mother of the children. And she said this, I, I, I quote from the news, I paused it and I had to write it down. She said, I do not believe that Andrew should ever be given a second chance. And I feel, I feel her pain. I, don't know, I have no clue what she's going through. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine having my two little children taken from me like that. But listen, that's also dangerous ground. To say that that person 
should never ever be given a second chance because that's not the gospel. Look, look at through, through scripture who God not only forgave but used. Jesus came from the line and the throne of David. David took a life. David committed adultery. David lied to cover it up. And yeah, he paid a price. There's no, there's no doubt about it. There are consequences to our actions always. But, but with God, there is always forgiveness. We need to hear that, friends. We need to hear that. Listen, were it not for the faithfulness of God that God always does what he says and that he's a compassionate, gracious, and merciful God, a God of second chances, all of us this morning would be hooped we would not be here. So let's put that into perspective. I better move on. That's point one. <laughs> Number two, the second foundation for a fruitful life and ministry is a fearful awe. Uh, verse 65, and fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea and all who heard them laid up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. There was a fearful awe. Uh, last week, Steel Lane preached, and he, and he gave a good, really good description about fear. This isn't a, I'm afraid of you. This is a, a holy reverence and a respect for the power and the provision of God. It's like, whoa. And, and it is that kind of fear, friends, that we need to reclaim and celebrate because it is only this type of fear that truly and excitedly anticipates and sees the next work of God among us. What's coming up next? That's what Advent is all about. It's, a, it's about anticipation. And so we need, we need to reclaim and celebrate this kind of fear that all of these people had around the birth of John the Baptist and of ultimately of Jesus they were on the edge of their seat. They were teeming with anticipation. What is God going to do next? I love feeding my dog. <laughs> we had a good old boy. His name was Mojo. He, we had to put him down at the age of 17. And then we thought we were done with dogs until our kids moved to New Brunswick and they asked if we would adopt him. Yancey, his name is. You can ask me later why he's called Yancey, but that's his name. He's six, and he's a schnoodle, a schnauzer poodle, and I love him a lot. And so I, I, uh, we said, the only way we'll take him is if um, our son-in-law, his parents who live in Yarrow, Rudy and Crean, if they will be our respite so that when we want to get out of town, they take him. So they had the discussion, and they agreed, so there's no guilt in dropping him off. We just drop him off and go. Anyway, that's the thing. That's the agreement. But Yancey, when he's hungry... What he'll do is he'll walk around me a little bit and he'll start to whine a bit, right? And then, he, and then we have a mat by our, on the inside of our front door, you know, where you come in, you take your shoes off and that kind of thing. He's, he goes and plunks himself on the mat and he looks at you. And he'll just give you a little hint. Like, it's lunchtime, whatever, breakfast. He's the hungriest in the morning. And so when I look at him, I kind of like enjoy this for a while. And then I look at him and I go, are you hungry? And then his head cocks and his ears go straight up. And then he starts to, to he's still sitting, but his paws are just doing this. 
So then I make my way over to the pantry and I get his dog food out and he sits there and I scoop it and as soon as he hears it hit the dish, then he runs and he gobbles all up and then he runs back to the mat and he knows that there's dessert coming. <laughs> there's a treat. And so he thinks it's a treat and it is sort of. It's, there's these things called veggie dents, right? And so we give them to kind of like, he just to really work on it, chew on it to keep his teeth clean, whatever, but he loves them. And that's what he gets really excited about. So he runs back to his mat, and he's sitting there, and now he's just a-going. And I go back to the pantry and put the main food away, and I get out the bag. And he is just looking. He won't take his eyes off of my every move. And I open the bag slowly, and he's just looking. On the edge of his seat, I put my hand in, and he just, he's just sitting there, just pacing. And then as soon as I pull the treat out, he runs, and he takes it out of my hand, and he goes back to his mat and he eats it and the whole routine is over and then he has to go for a washroom break. But that's, that's my dog. Why am I talking about my dog? Because this year it is my prayer that we can reclaim a sense of awe and wonder and anticipation. Awe and wonder of what the Lord has done and anticipation of what he will do. That we would wait before him in, in a holy reverence and respect, but just pacing, anxious. What's he going to do next? Well, what's God going to do? And it's this kind of fearful awe that is foundational to our spiritual vibrancy to anticipate all that God has for us because he loves us. Moving on, number three, foundation, so foundational. And I, 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 I wish I could talk about this all day long, but it's the filling of the Spirit. Verse 67, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied saying, listen, nothing happens in our lives and in our ministry without spirit infusion. This is absolutely foundational to the Christian life and ministry. In um, the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, an angel appeared to Zechariah and he, and he said this to him. This is God's message to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power. There's nothing you do. You can be as good and as strong as, as, as possible, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. You will succeed because of my spirit, though you are few and weak. There, there is no mountain, therefore no mountain, however high, can stand before Zerubbabel, for it will flatten out before him, and Zerubbabel will finish building this temple with mighty shouts of thanksgiving for God's mercy, declaring that all was done by grace alone. All is done, friends, in our lives by grace alone. And we, with mighty shouts of thanksgiving, need to do so for God's mercy. It is because of his spirit that anything is accomplished of any value in our lives and in this church. And uh, this, I think, well, not I think, this was a precursor to Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost and Peter gets up to preach a sermon in the power of the Spirit and 3,000 people were saved. 
And the very first thing Peter says, in the last day, declares the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And your young men and your young women and the older men and women, they will see, have visions and they'll prophesy in my name. I'm going to do this in my church with all people. And, and we need to believe that. We need to believe that God wants to work through us, that he wants to work through you in the power of his spirit as we proclaim his good news over people, as we prophesy over people, his salvation in Christ. And, and, and uh, I, I could go on and on, but Galatians chapter 5, Paul said, you know, if we live by the Spirit, if we truly live by the Spirit, if we believe that the Spirit of God comes and takes up residence in our lives when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, if that's the case, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And friends, we've got to learn how to keep in step with the Spirit. So read Galatians 5. Number four, foundational to a fruitful life and ministry is a fearless service. There's a fearful awe of God, but then there's a fearless service. So back up here to verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to redeem his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness, in righteousness before him all our days. A fearless service. Why, why, how are we able to serve God without fear? It's because Jesus has come to defeat our enemies. Do you believe it? Do you believe that the path is clear for you to have a fruitful life and ministry in his name because Jesus has already cleared the way? He's removed the obstacles? Listen, he defeated, he took care of our sin. He took care of Satan, hands down. <laughs> and, he's, and he's defeated the last enemy, which is death. Though those things have no hold on us as believers, there is nothing to fear. 1 John chapter 3, verses 8, and then verse 23, they say this. It's not on the screen, but you can look it up later. The reason the Son of God... The the Apostle John wrote this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Friends, (laughs) we can put our faith confidently in Jesus and go about doing what he's asked us to do. A fruitful life in ministry means, number one, we love one another. And everything springboards from there. If we've got that right, everything else will go well, because he's cleared the path, he's put his spirit in us, and it's going to be okay if we love one another. Um, let's go back to that verse 74. That we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without free fear, in holiness and righteousness, before him, until we reach age 65. Oh, wait a minute, didn't say that. <laughs> that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness 
uh, when our kids move out of the house. No, wait a minute, that doesn't say that. That that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve them without fear before him until my pension kicks in. All of our days. All of them. There is, listen, there's no such thing as retirement in the Christian life. Period. God has a ministry for you. Have you found it? Are you doing it? Um, it's no coincidence, Bill, that you're up here today. I'm going to pick on you a little bit because I know you can take it. How old are you? 80. 80? Bill's 80. He's leading worship. Um, I'm not going to stop until God tells me I need to stop, and then you'll find something else to do. I know you, Bill. You're going to find something else to do. When I, when I was a young pastor uh, in Saskatchewan, my first church in Borden, I preached a lot. I was there for six years, and I look back at all of my preaching. I preached an average of 48 sermons per year for six years. It's crazy. I took very few breaks just because we were out in the middle of nowhere, and there was very few people to call on, but there was one faithful guy. Whenever we wanted to get away for a week or two, you know, go visit family or go on a holiday, go camping, I'd call up Frank. Frank Fraze. His wife's name was Bertha. And they both were like four foot, five foot nothing, four foot like 10, 11. They were like just short. Powerful man, powerful couple. Uh, before I got to Borden, I interned at a church in Saskatoon, West Portal Church, and um, Frank and Bertha were members there. And uh, they would regularly have Marcy and me in for dinner to encourage us, just encourage us. He had done his whole life in ministry uh, back in the day when, you know, you, you farmed, worked another job, and ran a f- church full-time with, for, with no pay. And, and he was a, an amazing man. I would call on him regularly to come preach when I needed a break. Willingly, I'll be there, Eldon. I'll be there. And that man, he was already retired at that point, but his ministry in Saskatoon, like he wasn't employed by a church anymore, but he would organize a group of seniors, and they would go to the local care homes, hospitals, and they would sing, and they would hold services, and he would preach, and he had this loud, booming voice, just a short man with this loud voice. Uh, they were ministering until they physically were not able, like he actually couldn't leave the home anymore. Well into his 90s, both he and his wife died in their hundreds, early hundreds, both of them. Every single day of their life, they lived in the same building as my parents on, like, I don't know, my parents live on the seventh floor, they were on the fifth or sixth, they refused to take the elevator. Walked the stairs all the time. They're like 95 years old, just running up these stairs, and like, man. So anyway, I digress. Frank, he would stand up in front of the congregation and he says, there is no such thing as retirement in the Christian life. He goes, you know what it means to retire as a Christian? He says, it means that you put on new tires and you keep going. That's what it means to retire. Don't stop. Never forget that. Fearless service. What's holding you back this morning from serving him? Is there a fear that you have? You see, when you step out on faith, not fear, and you walk in his victory, you will see his provision at any age. 
doesn't matter if you're 20 or 90. God will give you something to do. And when you do it in his power, there's going to be fruit. So like Matthew 10, Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He was talking about himself. He's talking about God Almighty. Fear God. Do what he wants you to do. You don't have to fear anything else. It's what John the Baptist did. By the way, he got his head cut off, but he did the right thing. Faithful to the end. God was glorified. Jesus' name was lifted high. More people put their faith in Jesus because of John's faithfulness. Amazing. Number five. We're coming to a conclusion soon, friends. (laughs) The forgiveness of sins. Oh, this is so foundational that we have a right perspective of what God is calling us to. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give them, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Oh, those verses are so rich with meaning. Could go all over the place in scripture from Isaiah through the gospel of John and everywhere in between the whole Bible. To John the Baptist and to us. To John the Baptist, as prophesied by his own father, he was given the mandate to give people the knowledge of salvation. That's our mandate. To give people the knowledge of salvation. How? In the forgiveness of their sins. And John's message began with a call to repentance. Listen, we cannot... Jesus has accomplished our salvation and forgiven our sin at the cross, but we cannot receive that forgiveness until we acknowledge that. And here's the good news. Our sins will be forgiven when we acknowledge them. 1 John 1, verses 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Because the truth of Scripture is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes you and me. However, John said, if we confess our sins, and confession is a key part of repentance, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. There's that faithfulness again. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Friends, what gives us the confidence to confess our sins, to repent, and then be forgiven? It's a hard thing to do. It's not easy to say, this is what I've done. It's me. This is what I did. But we have the confidence to do that because of the tender mercy of our God. So often in church, we experience just the opposite, to our shame. We experience judgmental looks. We experience condemnation. How could you do that? Not God. When we mess up, he's not there to beat us over the head. 
He's there to express his tender mercy towards us because that's what we need. As we acknowledge those sins and we confess them, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Can I get a witness to this good news? Amen. Amen. Oh man, do I need the tender mercy of God. And the writer of Hebrews said, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Grace, friends, that we may receive mercy, the tender mercy of God to find grace to help us in our time of need. That's our God. Our God, when his son took advantage of him and wandered away with the inheritance and squandered it all in filthy living, and came back in humble repentance and confession and said, Father, I have sinned against you. I don't deserve this, but would you take me back as a servant? The father, already waiting at the end of the road, said, My son, get, go get a robe. Get a, get a ring. Kill the fattened calf. Let's have a party. He's back. <laughs> That's our God. And that is the message that ought to be foundational to our lives and the life that we live before others so that they have an opportunity to put their faith in that God, the God of tender mercy and of grace. Yes, there are consequences to what we do, but God is a God of second chances and he is so faithful. And I got to land the plane with number six which is a firm-footed peace. <laughs> I love this. And you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. In the way of peace. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I don't know about you, but when I was a child, I mean, I grew up on the prairies and it got pretty, you know, no street lights. If the stars were usually shining at night and sometimes northern lights and all of that, but on a dark night, going outside, especially when it was windy, into the, the bushes near our house was a, a frightfully dreadful experience. <laughs> I don't know if any of you ever had fears of the dark, but I hated it. And rightly so, because Scripture talks about evil that look, lurks in the darkness, about shameful things that are done at night, about people not wanting to be exposed so they keep things hidden in darkness. But Zechariah prophesied that this Jesus would give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And I don't know about you, but for me, walking in the light always brings peace. I can see. I know what's around me.
John chapter 1, probably the best passage on the incarnation, the coming of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing, not anything was made. That, uh, without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. The life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood nor of the will of flesh, uh, or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, have you received him? Have you received the light? Would you come out of darkness this morning and step into the light and become a child of God? It's the call of his, of, that's the call of God upon your life this morning. Do you have peace with God? Do you truly have peace with God? Resulting in the peace of God in your life? In other words, do you have the assurance of your salvation? Do you know Jesus? The Bible says there's no other name by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. Do you, do you know him? Do you have that peace? Are you walking in the light? So we're going to conclude I got to stop talking and we got to start having communion here because this table points exactly to Zechariah's prophecy.